0: It's good to be with you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 14 through 21. That'll be our passage this morning. As we get in, into our passage, I want to talk a little bit about encouragement. Encouragement is something we all want. We love it when our, our friends, our family, our children, our spouses, uh, our parents encourage us. Uh, We love coming to church and being encouraged by our brothers and sisters in Christ here at church as well. So has anyone ever encouraged you? I hope the answer is yes. But has anyone ever encouraged you uh, by confronting you? Have you ever been encouraged, uh, built up by somebody confronting you? Maybe it's uh, telling you uh, that your gas cap is open and you just drove from the gas station. Um, Something funny like that. Or maybe it's something serious like Um, there's something that in your life needs to change. I was thinking this morning about David. David is uh, known for being a man after God's own heart, and yet he's failed in his relationship with people. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and confronts him, and and David is grateful for Nathan's confrontation in the end. He's grateful because it brings him back to a right relationship with the Lord. I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll read our text, and then we'll get into it. Paul's going to talk about confrontation this morning. He's going to talk about authority. He's going to talk about what all this means when he put it together. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His encouragement for us in our hearts and as we hear the word. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you, God, have come into our lives, and you've not only given us grace And salvation through Jesus Christ, but you also have confronted our sin. So that not only do we have peace with you, but we also have the ability to be close to you through constant and perpetual sanctification, through change. Lord, thank you that you have also given us people on this earth commissioned by you in order to speak into our lives. Lord, as we talk about the issues of confrontation, authority, and sin. Lord, I ask that you would give us um, wisdom and humility, Lord, to think about these things, to consider our own lives and how we stand and walk in these spheres. Lord, I ask you give me strength to preach and give us grace to, to encounter your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's uh, take our Bibles and read our text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 21 is our assigned text this morning. But I'd like us to start in verse 13, because there's a word there that burdensome, you'll see it as we read, that flows throughout our text. So that sets us up a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong: Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but by you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will boast gladly, or rather, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? Is it in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved? For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This morning, our text teaches us that Christian authority exists for the building up of others. Let me say that again. Christian authority exists for the building up of others. And we can learn two lessons of how to do this or how to this authority works in that from Paul this morning. The first is that authority benefits others through selflessness. Authority benefits others through selflessness. And the second is, is that authority benefits others through confrontation or correction. So the first one is, uh, is we can come see that in verses 14 through 18. So let's start there this morning. Authority benefits others through selflessness. We are much more likely to recognize authority standing in front of us than authority that is distant. Paul makes the contents of his letter an immediate concern by announcing his coming to visit. We all can put up with somebody that's cantankerous until they show up on our front door. (laughs) We can all put up with somebody who we have conflict with until they uh, want to come over for dinner. Um, This is Paul. Paul has been talking to them. He's not cantankerous, I might say, but he has been talking to them about some things that they need to work on. And he's just announcing to them that he's going to be showing up So everything that they've been talking about in this letter that Paul's been talking about is not an academic exercise. Paul is about to be standing right in front of them and he's going to say the exact same things to their face. This heightens the importance of what Paul is about to say and what Paul has said. Paul is going to now move in our passage to start to close the letter. This whole letter he's been talking about his authority, why he should be respected, why he should be listened to as opposed to somebody else. And now he's going to begin to close and he's heightening the, the moment, enforcing the, reinforcing the moment in his points by saying, Corinthians, soon I will be standing before you and we will talk about this face to face. But in verse 13, we saw this idea of a burden that he doesn't want to be a burden to them. And so this third visit, this third time that he will personally come to Corinth, he also does not want that to be a burden as well. We learn of this all the way back in, um, throughout the book, but in, in chapter 11, verse 7 through 9, Paul writes, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Paul had come at no expense to the Corinthians to preach the gospel to them. I robbed other churches by accepting support, he goes on to say, from them in order to serve you. When I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Paul is saying that this next visit, this third visit, will not be a burden as well. Paul is not coming because he is interested in their stuff. The text literally reads, in their things. But he is interested in them. He's interested in encouraging them. He will not be a burden connects this section to our last week's passage where Paul previously talked about being a burden. And then Paul gives two supports for why he does not want to be a burden. The first is because his purpose and goal is not to be after their stuff. Nobody likes somebody who comes over and wants your stuff. That's just not cool. We give stuff away to people. We give things to people. But somebody who comes to our house with the purpose of getting our stuff is not welcome. Like the traveling, the salesman that knocked on our door and like had one that tried to sell me solar panels. This is not necessarily a bad thing to have solar panels, but he definitely wanted my money. Um, so I, I didn't feel like he was very much interested in me as much, you might say. But that's sales. Um <laughs> If anybody's in sales, I, I respect the uh, role of sales, but uh, there, is, there is a point to be made here. Um, so the second, the second role, the second support that Paul gives is for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And we, this is a much more personal role or personal support. We all have people in our lives that we care deeply about. Some of us have the privilege of having children and maybe even grandchildren. And in, and in that role... We want to give everything we can for them. I have a daughter and it's very hard not to buy something for her. Uh, it's very hard not to want an experience for her that if I know that will benefit her. And I imagine if the Lord tarries and I'm granted the ability to have grandchildren, that that, that, that tension, that, that pressure will only go up. Um, I, I know some of you have some personal experience with that, that privilege. I. Uh, this is what Paul is saying. He is, he is a parent. He is the one that has birthed them. He's the one that's come and presented the gospel to them. These are his children in the faith, and he wants to invest in them like a parent wants to invest in their children. <clears throat> Again, Paul is not interested in their things, their property, their money. He's interested in them as an individual, as individuals, as a church. <clears throat> Paul uses illustration of a parent's desire to provide for a child. And I think this also harkens back to the Proverbs, where the, 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 proverb, the writer of Proverbs rather says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. An inheritance, leaving something for that generation, investing, giving what we have for them is a part of our lives. And Paul is claiming that as a parent, for them in their faith, he wants to also encourage them. In his letter, Paul has not asked them for money for himself, but for those in need. You might remember that indeed he has asked for their money, but it's not for himself. It's for the church in Jerusalem who's under great persecution. Paul wants them to realize that he is not coming for their money. He realizes that his role as a parent necessitates that he lives sacrificially for their sakes. And this brings us to verse 15, where it says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So Paul's argument has been flowing somewhat like this. He says, I do not burden you. He doesn't want to be a burden to them. He says, I do not seek your money or your things. He says, I am glad to give up myself for you. And then he asks a question. He says, your response is to love me less now, we know that the Corinthians are not in the room with Paul when he's writing this letter. They're, they're going to be. He's coming to them. He's just said that. So this question will have to be answered. This will, there will have to be resolution. But Paul, the way he writes this, doesn't say this is what is happening. He says, is this ha- what is happening? Is this going to be your response when I come? Your response is to love me less. Is, is, that, is this for all this I've given to you? Are you going to love me less? Paul, in a sense, is drawing a line in the sand and saying, when I come, this is going to be a question that we're going to have to answer. But Paul leaves the question unanswered because he wants the Corinthians to answer that. So this takes us to verse 16 through 18, where Paul writes, but granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. So Paul has poured out himself, he settled this, and now we have this this turn where the Corinthians, he's saying, are, are, have this accusation against him. He's, the accusation is, I was crafty, you say, and, and got the better of you by deceit. So Paul is going to answer that accusation. There isn't a Corinthian standing in the room to give it, but Paul is assuming that this is an accusation that they're going to give to him when he comes. If I was going to visit somebody and I was going to write them a letter announcing my visit and I was to say something in this, it wouldn't be because there was warm feelings between us or that there was good hope for the fun that would be had together. No, this would necessitate that we would understand that this event of him coming would be one of trouble, one of confrontation, one of their being somewhat stressful at the very least. So this accusation is out there on the table now. Paul has placed it there and he says, did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? So he's asking them questions now. He says, I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? So we've seen the accusation that they're saying he was crafty, that he came uh, I got the better of them by deceit. And Paul's response is that I have come to you and I formed the church. I, I came to you a second time. We call that the painful visit. And now intervening between that painful visit and my next, the third or the third visit, I have sent people to you and they have been in your midst and you have liked them and they have given a good report of you. So if you like them, would you not see that I am the same if, if I had sent them? Titus, he says, doesn't come because Titus just decided to spend his vacation time traveling south from Macedonia to, to Corinth. No, it's because Paul specifically sent Titus. Titus had come on behalf of Paul, and, and Titus had not deceived the Corinthians. He had not been crafty. So he's holding up his actions, the people that he has sent, that they have, that they have interacted with as his defense. The answer to the tax on leaders is their character. Let me say that again. The answer to attacks on leaders is their character. Paul holds up his character as being worthy of the same respect as those who had recently come from him. Paul's selflessness continued even when he was falsely accused and misunderstood. He demonstrated selflessness by giving up himself for them when the relationship was hard. Paul was even willing to travel to them. Investing in a relationship, even when it's hard, takes effort. It takes selflessness. It takes selflessness to write a letter to somebody who you're struggling with. It even takes more selflessness to go visit them. Paul is demonstrating this kind of character as he interacts with the Corinthians. His authority, his authority benefits others through selflessness. The Corinthians need him to come, and he is willing to live selflessly and to come. So our second point this morning is that authority benefits others through correction. And this takes us on into the next section. It's verse 19 in this particular has this, says this. It says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for building are all for your upbuilding, beloved. So, uh, the Corinthians, Paul is leveling another accusation that the Corinthians might have against him, and that is that he has been spending this whole letter trying to defend himself. Whole this whole letter trying to make himself look good. And if we if you've been with us through this last year, you'll heard Paul defending his character over and over again through various means. And so, we might draw the same conclusion as the Corinthians that Paul has been all about promoting himself. But how Paul, the apostle Paul answers this question casts the whole book and gives us a, a very good understanding of why authority exists. You see, Paul is going to not answer the question by directly denying that he's been building up his authority. No, he's not going to do that. Rather, he's going to answer the question by saying that I have been building up my authority not to build up myself, but you Corinthians. You see, biblical authority exists not for the building up of the person who holds the office, but it exists for the building up of the people that that office is responsible for. We see this in our own lives. If you are A parent or a Sunday school teacher, or if you're a leader in the church in some capacity, God has given you a role, an office, in a sense, a role to to carry out, to execute authority in the lives of others. And why is that? Is it so that it can be all about us, all about you as a leader, a Sunday school teacher, a parent, or whatever role that God has placed you in? Is it because that is the end goal is you, to build you up? that would be perhaps what the Corinthians are thinking of Paul, but that's not how Paul is answering the question. Paul is making the specific argument that his authority exists for the building up of others. And so in this case, specifically for the building up of the Corinthians. And so it is in our own lives, brothers and sisters, our authority, whatever we have been given exists, not for our building up ourselves, but for the building up of others. <clears> hmm. <throat> So the Corinthians' their accusation is, is that he has come to defend himself through this letter, and Paul responds in two ways. He says, uh, first, he says, "Who is his judge?" And then, second, he says, "Who is what is his authority for?" And so, we've talked about what the authority is for a little bit, but first, Paul goes to who is his judge. So, in the, in the middle of verse 19, he recalls and he says. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. So first off, Paul is not going to jump directly to defending himself, but to lay out who Paul sees as his judge. You see, as we, and brothers and sisters in Christ, as we learn and work through our lives, who our judge is matters greatly in how we act on this earth. If it is the people we're serving, or even if we appoint ourselves as our judge in a sense, this is not firm ground. Paul is specifically telling the Corinthians that your accusation is not the accusation that I am going to listen to. I'm going to listen to the one before whom I speak, and that is God himself. Paul has already outlined this. He has already brought this up throughout the book. As early as 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 17, he wrote these words. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. There, He says the exact same words that He has just said in Second Corinthians, chapter two, verse nineteen. Paul knows that he speaks not ultimately in the, the sight and the for the judgment of the Corinthians, for, the, for in the sight and the judgment of God, His Father. This is strong ground. This is ground that does not move. God is a faithful judge, both the things that we do right and the things that we do wrong. Paul wants to be accountable to that judge. That is the God who he fears, not the Corinthians. And so it is in our own lives, if we have children or Sunday sc- kids in our Sunday school classes or other things that we do in our lives that we have authority, if our judge the one that we listen to is our children. My daughter is a normal daughter. She doesn't like to be disciplined. But God has given me a role as a father to be kind, caring, patient. And that sometimes it has, takes a step of discipline in her life. It's very important that we realize that we do that, not because our children like it, because they don't, um, but because God has given us a role and I want to be faithful to my heavenly father in how I execute what God has given me. <clears throat> we will be bold for what we fear. We will be bold for what we fear. If we are, fear God, we will be bold for God. If we fear people, we'll be bold for them, but people are fickle much as strong as we want to be and our friends are strong and our kids are strong and everybody in this world wants to be strong, we are ultimately fickle when compared to God. This text encourages us to build our foundation in how we act, not on the impressions and opinions of others, but on who God is and what he has said. But what is his authority for? And this, this is, again, I think Paul is beginning to turn the whole book from a defense of himself to an ex- uh, exercise of that authority that he's been building up. Um, several scholars will say that chapter 12, verse 19, is the purpose statement for the book. Why has Paul embarked upon writing this letter? It's because he wants to build up his authority or because he wants to encourage and build up the Corinthians The latter is Paul's argument. The latter is Paul's defense. Paul's authority serves a a purpose, the building up of the believers. This authority, Paul has already said, serves a purpose back in chapter 10, where he writes, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. You see, Paul is not ashamed of boasting in authority. In our world today, authority is under attack and some authority probably is worthy of being under attack because it's not executed well. But Paul is not going to back away from talking about authority because he knows that authority is essential for life. God has given many things authority. In Romans chapter 13, we learn that God has given the government for authority. They have that authority, not just because they are supposed to have authority and it's for them. They have that authority because God has given them things to do. And so it is with parents and is with all leaders is that authority that has been granted is not an end of of itself. It is for the benefit of others. At least we hope that is what it's for, what it's used for. And so Paul is in that same shoes and saying that the Lord has given me authority for the building up of others. Later, some five years later than the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul will write to the church in Ephesus and he'll write these words. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And just a quick note, we learned last week when Pastor Jay was preaching to us that Paul considers himself an apostle and what that specific office means. And so Paul is again referencing these apostles in this In this section of scripture in Ephesians chapter four, it says all these offices have been given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Paul is saying that the prophets and the apostles have all been given for the building up of the body of Christ. And not only those offices, but the the ones that we have with us to this day, those of teacher and pastor. Paul's role of apostle is similar to that of the Old Testament prophets who corrected the sins of the people. You see, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament age, we have people that God has ordained that will speak with authority to confront and to call people back to himself. Christian authority exists for the building up of the body. Paul is not ashamed or afraid to speak of authority because he knows that it is from authority that The church is corrected and people are edified. Paul knows he is likely to be accused of defending himself after asserting his authority for most of the book. Paul's answer? Strong biblical leaders can build up the church. Therefore, his defense serves to create a platform for him to encourage and correct them. Paul has spent this whole book to winning the Corinthians, so now he can begin to to serve them in his letter by correcting and encouraging them without them respecting who he is and what he has sent from the Lord, they're not going to be willing to hear what he's about to say. Which brings us into verse 20, where it says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Fear of sin in the camp, Paul Paul is worried that when he comes, that there is not going to be a clean house. He's not worried that the paint on the walls is falling off. He's not worried that they've all gotten food poisoning from the last church potluck. These are not things that Paul is is worried about. He's worried about what's going on in the hearts of the Corinthians. Their actions towards each other. Quarrellings, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And Paul is saying, I I don't want to find this among you. He also uses words such as, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. Paul is worried. He's fearful. As a parent to come and see his children, he is worried that he's going to find them not well. There's emotion in leadership. We are good leaders. We have compassion on those around us, those we lead. <clears throat> but Paul has already spoken to a point about these kinds of activities, such as these sins that he's just listed. He's spoken of the people that the Corinthians admire and they're looking up to, the people that Paul is in competition with. And in 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen through 20, he says, For you gladly bear with fools. Paul has a, uh, you might say, low view of his opponents. Um being wise yourselves, that he's speaking of the Corinthians. He says, For you bear it you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. These are all external actions. But if someone were to enslave somebody, I imagine that they might have some of these sins that Paul's accusing the Corinthians of, such as quarreling jealousy, hostility, slander. And if someone were to strike you in the face, it's probably not because they love you. It's probably because they have anger in their heart. You see, the Corinthians, Paul is worried, have become like those they look up to. There's fighting, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, and gossip in the church. Paul is hoping and wishing that this is not the case. But Paul is proposing this because he is worried that it is. Those convinced of Paul's authority will respond to this correction, to this confrontation. They will understand who Christ was and those who lead like him. In other words, they will understand that Paul is like Christ, not those leaders that slap them in the face. Christ was selfless, compassionate, knew the realities of life and did not shy away from it. And God the Father's authority was what Christ had. So it is with Paul. Paul is acting selfishly, compassionately. He is acting on the Corinthians' behalf. If they understand that this truly is Paul and this is what a good leader is, then they will be ready and able to listen to his rebuke. And so we go back through the book of 2 Corinthians, not necessarily this morning, but we reflect on all that Paul has said, and we see the purpose for why he's saying it. If we realize who Paul is, then we will realize that his message must be listened to. His confrontation and his care are real. Our last verse reads, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned. Earlier, and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Paul sees God as sovereign over the Corinthians, even if it means that that sovereignty makes him humble through having to again deal with their sin. Paul realizes that this is going to be a hard visit and that God is not absent from this scene. Godly correction should be the compassion or rather the companion of grief over the sins of those who we are correcting. God can use the sins of those we invest in to humble us. Paul's strong affection for the Corinthians means their choice to sin humbled and grieved Paul all the more. Do you have somebody in your life that you care for deeply, whose sin and uh, actions grieve you? This is because we care for them, that their actions grieve us all the more. Paul's acknowledging this fact in his relationship with them. So what of this sin, the sexuality, the uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality? What of these things that Paul is listing? Well, this has a story. This has a track record. There's a reason why Paul is going to hear in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it, the text reads, it says, it is actually reported, this is, he's ac- accusing essentially the Corinthians of this, he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. This deep sin, this uh, gross sin that it's, Paul is, is uh, challenging them on, It's something that in their culture and even today is not looked on with favor. And yet the Corinthians were willing to tolerate it at that time. Paul is worried that these people who had sinned have not repented. He's worried that this sin continues in their lives. So Paul is is talking to them about sin in their life and and he's talking to them not because he's heard a report per se, but because he's he's understanding who the Corinthians are and he's worried about them. And I want us to read a passage out of Galatians because I want us to lay the sort of the foundation of why Paul is worried about them that he will write in in this way. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 23 is a familiar passage to us. It talks about the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, and it says in verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. There we have those three sins that are listed in verse 21 of Second Corinthians. But we go, it, the list goes on, and it, it picks up some of those that we saw back in verse 20. It says, Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is what characterizes the work of the flesh as opposed to the work or the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> I warn you, Paul goes on to write in Galatians, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul is worried that the Corinthians' actions are not in keeping with salvation. He outlines that these sins, and in Galatians, he lays it out, that these people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is not new that Paul has some concern about the Corinthians. As early as chapter 6, or if not earlier, we've seen that Paul is worried about their salvation. In chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes working together with him being, that is God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul is calling them to repentance, to saving faith, to not miss out on the hope of the gospel. You see, Paul, who called them brothers and sisters in the opening of the book is writing to them to make sure that they are indeed in the faith and this carries on into our passage where he's confronting their sin <clears throat> paul's not alone in confronting sexual immorality however if if one perhaps might say well it's not a big deal it's only one sin or some other avenue of dismissing paul's claim they would have to listen to the whole church at that time. You see, in Acts 15, the whole church gathers. The living apostles are there. The the people that are studying the word of the Lord where the church began, those who knew Jesus, are all in a room, and they make a decision. They decide that they should write a letter. Acts fifteen twenty reads, and it says, "...but should, should write to them to, from the th- to abstain rather, from the things polluted by idols." and from sexual immorality. You see, sexual immorality was a big deal to the church because they knew how important it was to abstain from it. And it wasn't just Paul who had that conviction. Correction is necessary for the Christian life. Leaders, parents or not, we must practice correction. In Corinth, Paul realized correction was necessary because people's actions did not evidence the fruit of salvation. In our day, the authority of what the apostles wrote, the Bible, mandates the church and its leaders must practice confrontation for the building up of believers. Each of us, brothers and sisters, in our own life, at certain points, will have to confront somebody else. It's important to do that well. It's important to do that with patience and with kindness, but each of us at some point will have a position in which we are granted the authority and we need to use that for the building up of others and not for making more of ourselves. Because you see, like Paul, we stand not before those around us, but before our heavenly father who sees our actions. It is he who we are ultimately responsible to. So why are we parents, Sunday school teachers and leaders in the church? The why makes a big difference If it is because we desire earthly gain, then we will not value caring for others. Children will be too difficult. Churches will be full of people to avoid. But if we see God as the giver and judge, we can see authority as Paul did. That is, that Christian authority exists for the building up of others. We need to do that, brothers and sisters, with selflessness and at times even with correction. Paul knows the Corinthians need to hear this message. He's coming to them because he cares about them, because he knows that they need confrontation. And he also knows that the answer to their problems is not to get rid of his authority, but to establish it, because from that authority, he can do what he is called to do by his heavenly father, and that is correct them. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who sees us, who hears us, who understands us. You understand the situations that we're in every day. You understand the things that we're walking with because your son came and walked among us. Thank you, Lord, that you are God. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who hears us and sees us. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are the one that walks with us through the times when we have to be confronting others who walks with us when others grieve our hearts. Please, Lord, establish us on a firm foundation of who you are and what you think of us. Lord, I ask as we go forward into our day and our week, Lord, that you would bless us all with strength to love you, to think highly of you, and to be constantly reminded of your care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.